Today on Oxl FM, Gelada and I discuss the games we feel best define the RTS genre. Hello and welcome to episode of Oxl FM. I'm Sefran. And I'm Gelada. And we are starting a new recurring segment, another one. Um, we quite like doing these recently, haven't we? We've, we've mm. done quite a few of these ones. But this time, it's uh, talking about games again, as usual. But we're going to be talking about games that define a genre. Because there's so many genres in video gaming, and mm. almost too many in a way. So we're going to try and be slightly more broad about what the genres are, so we can calculate more games. But there are some really important games that I don't think otherwise would get talked about, because maybe they are series that have been sort of left by the wayside, or have been overshadowed by other more popular things in modern days, etc. And some genres just don't seem to really be a thing as much anymore, which actually is this one, in, in a way, has morphed into very other smaller more sub sub genres of the of itself isn't it yeah the first the first genre that we wanted to talk about is real-time strategy games and you're absolutely right that it's kind of weird like if you look up real-time strategy now say on steam or something or you google for real-time strategy games you know you get a very wide mix of games very different to what it was perhaps originally how it started out and yeah and it's a fun I mean, I'm looking forward to doing this little series. I guess it'll run out eventually when we run out of genres. I, I don't know how many genres of video games are there. <laughs> we can make more up. <laughs> we can just invent some. We'll invent some genres. But yeah, we wanted to sort of start with um, real-time strategy. It's something that our kind of like gaming history, I guess, is quite coincides with sort of really strong popularization of real-time strategy yeah, games. And sort of late 90s, early, two, early and mid mid 2000s kind of time where a lot of the games that we're going to talk about actually come from uh and you can now see a lot of influence of the of these games not just in real-time strategy in inverted commas but also across all kinds of genres yeah, and all kinds of games um i mean it was yeah. real-time strategy games that kind of brought our friendship together in a way yeah. like we started talking about one of the games on this list at school and that's sort of one mm. of the ways in which we bonded yeah, absolutely. And real-time strategy games, typically you have like, you know, you're controlling some units, you're building some buildings, um, and it's sort of like that top-down view, you know, and you you often have, there's often a lot of like menus and mm. like it's quite a, they tend to be quite, not complicated interfaces, but, you know, th- typically this has always been the realm of PC gaming because you need a mouse and keyboard because yeah, sure. there will be a lot of actions that you can do. And a lot of sort of context-specific things. Um, the RTS on what... games that have been kind of put onto console specifically for mm. console, rather than just kind of like bad ports, yeah. you usually have a much more streamlined experience where they Definitely. are a lot more about one particular gameplay loop as opposed to many gameplay loops within a, a, a normal style RTS game. And it's actually interesting because even mobile hasn't necessarily really 
grabbed a lot of real-time strategy, even though you could do a lot of stuff with touch controls, because mm. that does give you a lot of kind of fine-grained control versus a D-pad or an analog stick. But I think with mobile, you still have a lot of inaccuracy with a finger versus yeah. a, a, a a mouse cursor and oftentimes there's a lot going on on screen at the same time as well so real estate for the menus and the units and everything else is quite high in requirements so exactly but interestingly you know again a lot of mobile games when you think of sort of mobile games that are quite popular thinking about things like um clash of clash of clash royale clash of clans yeah those, those sort of games yeah those sort of things like they draw a lot from from rts they're kind of also top down you're controlling units you know they're real time there's a lot of that kind of stuff um yeah so we sort of want to cover like games that we think for whatever reason, they're like particularly relevant in the genre. Um, maybe they did something first or they sort of popularized a particular, you know, mechanic uh, and sort of change things. And you sort of look at, you can look at each of these games and look at what the genre looked like before the game and yeah. what the genre looked like after the game. Yeah, yeah. And they often, they're often like very different on either side. One of the things we came to whilst doing the notes was that some of these aren't necessarily the first example of those. These are just sort of the, the more well-known examples of these mechanics that influence the the genre as a whole and yeah. ones that maybe popularized it or kind of perfected it. Yeah, so absolutely. There are definitely some games that we're going to miss off. And we're also yeah. going to have some acknowledgements and some honorable mentions as we go through the list of different games because there are so many that are very important but nece- don't necessarily define RTS as the genre that it is. Yeah. Maybe just kind of define its own subgenre or created different styles of gameplay within the genre, etc. Exactly. And for the first game, you've got to cast your mind back to the late 90s. Ooh. Dial-up and internet access. Yeah. Baggy pants. Dial-up internet. Starbucks. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and that was... Age of Empires and Age of Empires 2, mm. um, which are kind of, you know, two different games, um, but also both exceptionally similar, really, uh, in the grand scheme of things. You know, not, they both sort of uh, added uh, a lot to the genre in the same way. And so you can sort of use the two interchangeably. I feel like Age of Empires was almost like the rough copy version of Age yeah. of Empires 2. They had some very similar uh, introductions of mechanics but I feel Age of Empires 2 sort of refined them more to a more usable, playable example. Exactly. And with Age of Empires, at this point in time, I think what Age of Empires really did was combine a little bit of civilization Mm -hmm. and a little bit of, like, Warcraft, let's say, together. Because up until this point, for sort of, like, the grand scale stuff, you were looking at turn-based games like Civilization, where yep. you're, like, going, you're working your way through the ages, um, upgrading units, you know, big battles, long games, and that kind of thing, uh, with something like, which, and, and Civilization obviously is turn-based, uh, with something like Warcraft, where uh, it's, the matches are quicker, there's fewer units involved, everything is a lot more kind of simplified, it's more sort of about one skirmish, if you like, um, on a map. Uh, and this really kind of combined the two. So this is sort of, this is kind of the first time that you had matches where, you know, you were, you had to think about a lot of, a lot of different components. So like, how do you arrange and build your base? Yeah. How do you manage your economy? Uh, which units do you, you know, what, 
you have to build lots of different kinds of units because it was very kind of rock, paper, scissors. Yes. Um, which is, you know, very common at, even at that point in, in real-time strategy games. But because the scale was so much larger, you you had to have a good balance of units, you know, uh, going into a into a battle, if you like. And you had to have a build order for that too because yep. there was tech involved at this point. Now you had to, yep. like, unlock certain technologies by building certain buildings, unlocking certain technologies, and then kind of going up an age uh, yeah. And so he's like, if you wanted to go down a particular route of aggression or defense or whatever, you would often have to prioritize that because there wouldn't be time to do everything until you got attacked. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there were still, you could still have very fast paced Age of Empires games, you know, where maybe someone did a, an early game rush um, or something like that. Uh, but there was a lot more scope for different kinds of strategy. Mm. So whereas, you know, when I think about StarCraft as a comparison, where like everything is about the rush, yeah. right? And it's like, how fast can you get to a certain point? And, and Age of Empires 2 and Age of Empires 1 was a lot more about, you could do that, but also there was a, games typically could last longer and you could, you know, there was, there were viable strategies around kind of turtling and, and defending yes. and shoring up your, shoring up your defenses until late game and things like that. And that um, was made more prevalent by the fact that there was such a huge variety of, of civilizations to choose from. Yeah. Like I think once you included the expansions of the conquerors and when, although I suppose we're not really talking about the expansions of the remastered ones, really. No. Um, how was that there was like 22 23 civilizations to choose from it was, there a, was lot. a lot yeah uh, and and although they all played the same in a lot of ways like they all had mm. a central town village they all had like farms and mines and all the rest of it in terms of the base economy they got specialized units and they also got like certain bonuses to certain things which kind of made certain yeah. strategies more viable for other ones so there was always a new matchup that could change the way in which you looked at a game definitely and there was a lot of you're right because a lot of the civilizations it wasn't again like drawing a comparison to say something like starcraft or warcraft there there wasn't a huge difference between each of the civilizations so most of them could build most of the units yeah um and it would typically be that maybe the final upgrade for a unit was not available for a for a yeah. you know like maybe maybe as a as a cavalry based civilization you wouldn't get the final upgrade for an infantry or something yeah. like that um but that made a huge difference because you would pick a civilization and you would get some economy bonuses and you would get some, you know, like some trade-offs with, with units that meant that it did funnel you down a particular playstyle for a particular civilization, which was really fun. Another thing that the game did that kind of defined the genre of RTS was its single player scenario style. Yeah, absolutely. Because unlike, again, some of the other games on this list that had very um, story driven scenarios, Age of Empires 2 sort of recreated sort of like famous real world historical moments and battles. And they did put a little bit of story in it, like, you know, you have to walk on a map with some units and meet different people and you get some text and some voice and stuff like that. But they were relatively shorter and self-contained. So you could simply say, play the, you know, the battle with William Wallace, for example. I think that was like the training one, wasn't it? That you opened up with and you had to like fight for the independence yeah. of Scotland, for example. You know, and... They were relatively short. They'd last no more than half an hour, 45 minutes, I feel, on average. Sometimes they'd take longer, yeah. but you often were given sort of like pre-existing scenarios to work with and to build upon and to finish off. A bit like those sort of like chess puzzles you get given almost, where like, <laughs> yes. you know, finish this yeah, yeah, within a yeah, yeah. certain amount of turns or something like that. Very much so. 
Yeah, and actually, as a side point, a lot of I know a lot of people learn a lot of history from Age of Empires yeah. too, because um, it's you had know, like it a was, full encyclopedia in it as well of different tribes and people and stuff, didn't it? Yeah, uh, tried to be reasonably accurate. Um, but yeah, this isn't the uh, this isn't the Age of Empires review episode. So before we spend too long gushing about AOE two, <laughs> I mean, it was definitely a game that I played a lot of and sort of got me started in PC gaming. Yeah, I remember playing a demo of Age of Empires two that only let you get up to the Castle Age, uh, <laughs> and I played that so much so many hours of, of playing that demo um but actually if you want to look at sort of games that defined the almost the existence um of rts and the, and the popularity of rts you can look to an even earlier game mm. which is command and conquer uh, which came out in 1995 yeah so four years before uh, age of empires 2 and actually I know, you know, if you want to be really purist about this, then if you want to talk about the grandfather of RTS, you talk about June, June 2. Yes. Um, which is very similar to Command and Conquer. But I would argue that June 2, whilst yes, technically is like the grandfather and sort of invented a lot of things like the a minimap and building a base and that kind of thing. I think, you know, there's a reason why there aren't 20 June games. Yeah. And actually the later games after June 2 weren't very good. And that's because like command and conquer is like the it really popularized it cemented it and is the one that everyone thinks of really when they think about what was the first rts game yeah absolutely you know, properly it, it's very much got the formula that we still think of today you know it has the it has a top-down view but if you think about some of the really old rts games like say the original warcraft or june 2 like you mentioned they were very zoomed in there wasn't a very big scale of what yeah. you could see whereas command and conquer kind of like zoomed out more and the yeah. units there was more units visible at any one time you could kind of craft a lot of units i don't even know if there was a unit cap in command and conquer really you know you could craft huge amounts of them and the the world felt very expansive and alive it wasn't just kind of a flat plane with just maybe like a tree in it or something yeah. you know everything felt like a real battlefield i always draw a comparison between in my head between zelda one and um a link to the past mm. right in the sense that uh like like June 2, like those really, really early RTS that are almost like, you know, like DOS games where the graphics are very, very simplified, very zoomed in, very kind of like, yeah, just blo very blocky colors kind of early stuff compared to something like CNC where I think, you know, you started to get a bit more, yeah, a bit more depth and nuance to, yeah. the, to the graphics for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's very much, this is expanded upon and refined the formula which was created beforehand and thus created quite a, a legacy for the genre as a whole so even though it maybe didn't invent the ideas of it it very much defined an rts and i'd say command and conquer is probably the most defining rts on this whole list that we have because yeah. it's the most typical rts game because it was the yeah. rts game in a lot of ways yeah it basically became the standard didn't it yeah. really I mean, because it introduced resource gathering, but you only had one resource. Depending on if you played the original Command and Conquer, it was Tiberium, or in like uh, Red Alert, you had things like I think it was just ore. I think it was just called ore that you collected. Mm -hmm. You know, and there were tech levels, but the tech levels were also fairly minor. Like you would just like you would have to do this to be able to continue growing up. There wasn't like an upside or a downside to not going certain tech levels and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, and the maps were quite huge. If you wanted them to be, they could be genuinely enormous. Uh, whereas some other RTS games were much smaller in scope. So there was 
there was opportunity to build multiple bases and sort of like outposts and stuff like that around the map and, and kind of attack from different angles and stuff like that. Uh, and there were often choke points that you had to try and control as well with like impassable yeah. rivers that had bridges over them and stuff like that. Specifically more in Red Alert than the original Khan and Conquer because they introduced quite a lot of new mechanics in Red Alert as well. But still, like the core ideas are the same. Yeah, exactly. The, uh, the other thing, like sort of thinking about uh, where we talked about Age of Empires' uh, campaign, uh, which was very much around sort of a historical campaign. Uh, C&C had this sort of, I always think it's bizarre that it had it, but the fact that C&C had a lot of um, full motion video, yeah. right? And it had, you know, people acting and and playing out a story. And, you know, there are characters in C&C that are sort of some of the some of the best known and infamous characters in, in gaming. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, people like Kane, for example, you know, it's just very kind of well-known characters um, that have come out of CNC and been staples through the whole series, which is very different to something like Age of Empires. Yeah, it, it has a, a very much a front and centre storyline. You know, there are multiple playthroughs of the, of the game where you play through as both the kind of the good guys and the bad guys, quote unquote. Yeah. Um, they represent different ideas and there is a flowing story through each mission that you have to accomplish with voiceovers. Uh, and like you say, like with the formation videos as well between them, which were wonderfully like B-movie. Um, yeah. <laughs> but very high quality as well. And they had some surprisingly famous actors in them as well. Like people like Michael Bean, James L. Jones, Tim Curry. You know, these are really famous people doing these yep. acting gigs you know for these video games it's bizarre it is really bizarre to see like some of these actors are like really big name i mean the tim curry meme of like going to space for example is still an active meme today um <laughs> you know it, it's wonderful it's so bizarre that an rts game is what did this rather than say like an action adventure style game or like an rpg this was an rts game with like full-on you know movie quote-unquote quality uh storytelling yeah. and if anything you know i think that a lot of rts has taken a bit of a step back from that not in a negative way but like i don't think that there's there's that many rts games and the genre as a whole that sort of like kept that really no. serious um level of 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 action there are a few you know there's a lot of stuff in starcraft and starcraft 2 i guess um but yeah, very a lot interesting. more focus on the gameplay element of things now as yeah. opposed to the story side of things. Absolutely. Uh, and when you talk about gameplay, and I've just mentioned it, but when I think about a real-time strategy game that really has some very, very clearly defined gameplay and a very, very strong emphasis on gameplay, I think of StarCraft. Yeah, you can't right? not. Because StarCraft, which is again around the same sort of time, so 1998, you know, StarCraft is all about game mechanics uh, because it is extremely fast hmm. uh, and extremely technical. And I don't know whether that was intentional. Whether I don't it think it was. Became that, yeah. But, you know, it practically invented, uh, you know, esports in many ways in terms of, particularly for something that isn't a first-person shooter, hmm. you know, there's it's still played competitively now. And the thing about StarCraft is it's all about the micro-optimization, right? Yeah. So it's like the the actions per minute or whatever you know like how many times can you can you instruct units to move because that makes a difference because it's it's very small scale compared to something like age of empires um, and command and conquer to some extent you've got fewer there's fewer units you typically build fewer units the base building is is simplified and the resource management is very simplified compared to something like age of empires and yeah it's very kind of like 
yeah, the gameplay of it is is very, very technical. It's very and front and center, and there's a lot of nuance to learn. Like, you can play definitely. the game as a complete newbie and still enjoy it and do relatively yeah. well, but it's like, it is the game that people study to go, well, which has a slightly, like, 0.1% more efficiency ratio yeah. of being built to the getting over to the base and that kind of thing. And I don't know if that's like, like, I feel like most games can be can be crazily optimized. I don't really know exactly what it is about starcraft that means that it gained that and it and it became that kind mm. of game i think a lot of it was attention to detail around balance yes uh you know it, it's a it's a game that was very well kind of looked after from that point of view in that it, it is a very competitive game like you can be competitive in it uh and it was looked after to be that way yeah uh which i think makes a huge difference compared to something that is kind of released and then it's like cool away you go like that's that's the end of it kind of thing another thing that made it very difficult and thus compelling to optimize and to sort of get the most optimal strategy in beating your opponents was the fact that there were only three playable races as opposed yes. to say like the 20 plus in say AOE or the two in Command and Conquer, but they were all so incredibly different for one another. That's true. Like, yeah, the yeah, Terran, yeah. the Zerg and the Protoss don't play anything like one another at all. They are basically, it's asymmetrical gameplay in that sense. Yeah. Whereas like Age of Empires, you had effectively the same people with just certain bonuses here and there. You know, the Zerg play entirely differently to a Terran player would play. And that then meant that you had to adapt your strategy on the fly, depending on what your opponent was playing, but then also what strategy mm. they employed within that race. And yeah, like as a result of it, it was not just rock, paper, scissors, but then, you know, you added a hundred other ways of which you could play that same game and you had to work yeah. out what the best reaction to each of those was. And the fact that the game was balanced and having such completely different races, but you, it was still remained competitive at all times is kind of, I think the key to, to sort of, yeah, that's not easy. That's not an easy thing to do in sort of game game design. And the reason that that defines the RTS genre is because unlike the previous games, which define it in a more classical way, this defines the more action-orientated, very fast-paced style of RTS yes. games, which I would probably argue are more popular now than the old style yeah. ones. Like, you know, there are StarCraft 2, obviously, as well, but there are quite a few other RTS games that are quite small-scale, very fast-paced, you know, mm. and, and obviously StarCraft has a... Uh, as almost like a brotherhood, as it were, with like Warcraft, for example, yeah. obviously with being Blizzard. And that same style of kind of fast-paced, micro-clicking gameplay rubbed off in Warcraft 3, which then rubbed off into things like Dota, which then yeah. played League and MOBAs in general, and Tower Defenses and other sort of similar uh, style, very fast action games. It's a good point, actually, because when you look at it from that point of view, you can very clearly see how, you know, when we when we started this episode, we talked about how RTS is now a very broad genre. Mm. And you can really see the split there when you think about some of the other kind of side genres, if you like, to RTS, um, sort of subgenres, I guess, but like godlike games as well, like Dungeon Keeper, yes. Populous and Black and White, um, or like the kind of larger scale games like Anno, Total War, you know, and sort of, you know, you've got a mixture then of like city simulation and and sort of massive kind of base building. There's maybe and, less of an emphasis on the combat, more an emphasis on other areas of management. Yeah, the sort of I guess it's I guess it comes down to macro versus micro to some mm. extent. But you can really see that kind of the macro influences of things like Age of Empires and Command and Conquer, which which did have both macro and micro. Yeah, for sure. But you can sort of see where that was taken 
on its own in a way to some games and then the micro style into sort of like things like starcraft and and kind of later uh rts games as well like things like dawn of war right which is another one on our list yes which is much later so now you're talking about 2004 yeah uh and I, I thought of something uh, something I spotted when looking back and thinking about these games. In Dawn of War, which is a game from uh, Relic, so they also made Homeworld uh, and later on Company of Heroes as well. Uh, and it's based in the Warhammer 40,000 universe. One of the key things about, or there's two key things really about Dawn of War, but one of them that I want to particularly point out, which I find really interesting, is around control points. Yes. So unlike all the previous games that we've talked about where you have a map, and you have a base and you get to the opponent's base and you just dist- and you blow yeah, them you up. You win by wiping them out. In Dawn of War, you win by capturing control points on the map. Um, so there will be like maybe two, three, five, six, depending on the depending size, on the of, the size map. of the map. Yeah. And you, you control them by taking units over to them, right clicking on them, <laughs> waiting for a minute and then it's yours. Yeah. Uh, and that also tends to tie into resources. So the more control points you have, the more resource you have um so it's sort of like yeah you can you can snowball kind of thing yeah there were like uh, smaller control points which gave you resources and large ones that gave you victory points and right you had to decide which were more important to defend on a on a kind of a long-term scale exactly and what's interesting is when you look at the early 2000s and some other games that were that were out then and were sort of getting popular and especially in the context of gaming even today that idea of control points can see it across first-person shooters as well, for example. Mm. So in things like Battlefield 1942 and Battlefield 2, which is a similar kind of time, uh, that added, you know, had had very strong emphasis on kind of conquest mode, right? Yes. So the capturing control points to, to gain victory points to win the game. And this is a mechanic that when you realize, when you see the benefit of it, you realize why it started to appear everywhere. Yeah. And it's because it really heavily focuses gameplay into specific areas. It forces the action. It forces the the high octane sort of parts of the game because yeah. it means that everyone is having to go into one space, yeah. even if you've got a fairly big map. So when you think about Age of Empires 2, for example, especially if you add more than two players, you there's nothing you're fighting over each other's space so when you think about you know you those strategies around sort of defending and turtling or spreading out over the map and hiding in a corner and stuff like that that goes away completely in yeah, games like Dawn of War. Because you have to be aggressive. Because if you're not aggressive, you're going to lose on victory points rather than simply having your base wiped out. Yeah, and it's a very different style. And I think it probably turns a lot of people off these kinds of games versus something like, you know, there's a certain set of people that enjoy playing games like Age of Empires yeah. um, and, and sort of other games like that, like Rise of Nations or Homeworld or something yes, like that, yeah, where yeah. you can kind of like just sit and build up a big army, you know, and just sort yeah. of sit and work on stuff by yourself and then suddenly attack. Uh, and games like Dawn of, of War, War requires aggression. Yeah, they just take all that away, yeah. right? Um, if you're not within them out in the map kind of capturing points within the first minute of the game, you're very far behind now, even compared yeah. to, say, like a, a lower difficulty AI player, let alone a human player, um, you know, because then not only are you also down on victory points, but you're also going to be lower down on resource points, which allow you to build things because there is no resource yeah. gathering because they remove that as well because they, they really wanted to focus on the actual fighting gameplay, the combat, because that was... That was what they know they'd done well. They created a really fun fighting combat 
RT- RTS game, yeah. not a base builder. So they wanted you to get you out of your base. Yeah. And it's interesting how different that feels. You know, it almost, when again, when we talk about RTS being very broad, you know, this is a very specific genre of RTS, mm. like just purely by having different gameplay like adding a couple of gameplay mechanics, you completely change the feel of the game compared to, you know, Total Annihilation or yeah. Supreme Commander. Yeah, right? yeah. The sort the of like macro massive styles. macro games. Yeah. Um, so another yeah. thing that Dawn of War introduced was the idea of having a squads. Although yeah. it wasn't the first game to do it. I think Homeworld did it as well, which is by the same developers, Homeworld 2 mm. specifically. The idea of rather than building, say, one unit, so in this case, one Space Marine or one Orc or something, you would build a squad of Space Marines or a squad of Orcs that then you could also reinforce out in the field without having to have them mm. run all the way back to the base. Again, yet again, encouraging you to be out there, being aggressive, fighting, yeah. moving them around. And it also encouraged you to sort of like use one squad of this and two squads of something else rather than just having one enormous, you know, homogenous blob of Teutonic Knights, for example, from AOE2. You know, it encouraged you to build different squads that then complement each other's gameplay styles better, like having a couple of really good close quarters fighters and then having a really big, massive shooter squad behind them kind of supporting them. It encouraged that style of quite fast-paced, just tactical-style gameplay. Yeah, I sort of see it as the distillation of uh, things like... Because you could also... um you could also upgrade the squads, right? That yeah, adds like yeah, yeah. different things. You could give them I special of, weapons and give them like, you yeah. know, more armor and also upgrade them as a whole so they become like a new type of squad. And I see a little bit of a blend of like Warcraft 3 yeah. and, or the Warcraft where you're sort of, you know, you've got hero units and, and MOBAs having that as well um, with also a little bit of the kind of grander. It's like brought the grand style total war, you know, mm. like big, like groups of units where you can only have them as groups, but down to squad-based yeah. gameplay. And also a little bit from kind of like tactical turn-based games as well. And the fact that you've got kind of like squads of units rather than single units. Yes. Sort of that kind of influence as well. Um, and you can definitely see that in, you know, lots of other um, real-time strategy games, not just from Relic, although mostly from Relic. Because well, um, the Company of Heroes did it again. And that but and that yeah. made even more sense. Like, why would you have like one soldier in a war, in World War Two? You yeah. know, you would have a squad of them. Yeah, uh, and they also the one of the things that I think is super important to mention because it was such a weirdly like un not done thing until they brought it forward with Dawn of War and then really perfected it in Company of Heroes was cover systems for units yes. and directional yeah. cover systems for units as well. You could make yeah. them face in certain directions within cover, and it, that it's amazing that that wasn't a thing until then. Yeah, I mean, if you think about all those other games that we've talked about, they had no, t- there was no terrain stuff no, or barely really. any. Age of Empires 2 had a little bit of like, if you're on a hill, there was like a bit of a hidden kind of uh, damage bonus, but it was very subtle. And, yeah. and, you know, or if you're on top of a cliff or something. And a lot of the maps were very flat anyway yeah. to sort of negate that because it was a bit kind of random. Complicated to make it happen and work and everything, yeah. Um, but yeah, like, it's interesting because I remember when Dawn of War came out and... It felt like such a massive simplification of real-time strategy and it took away so many things that I really liked about yeah, strategy. Yeah, like the base like, building, the resource management. No base building, no resource management, no large numbers of units, not no, not really a huge variety of units no, either. Not you know, initially, not, no. Not, Later expansion has made that different, but yeah. still, initially, no. And But actually, it worked really well and becomes something that I find that I found interesting over the years with real-time strategy is playing them with friends Mm. because I find that real-time strategy games can be quite a challenge to play uh, casually with friends because 
there's a there's a lot of kind of skill there's there's a lot of skill and a lot of knowledge and you don't need a huge amount before you can just completely dominate yeah because you it's so easy to snowball in a strategy game where if you know a little bit about how to play enough that you can just be reasonably good then you can just steamroll over anyone that's kind of hesitant and so you know Oh, and also because of things like turtling and stuff like that, like it was very, games could last for absolutely yes, forever could, if no yeah. one was particularly good and everyone was just kind of okay at a game or a little bit unsure. You would just, you would just last forever. Yeah. And then suddenly one person would win because yeah. they were, they Stone were just balling, like you say. But Dawn of War is a game where I've had the most fun with friends playing as, as a, a strategy game because it's, it does force the action and everything is kind of on a smaller and simplified scale that kind of everyone can get involved a lot more. And it's more intuitive, I think, to play something like Dawn of War. And the fact that you've got things like control points makes it clearer what you're, what's expected of you. When you think about Starcraft or CNC or Age of Empires, you know, it's not clear what you're meant meant to do. Like, it's like, how do you, how do you play? Like, it's like you build stuff, you build units oh you're meant to like defend you're meant to like make sure you've got a defensible position oh too late you're dead yeah like it's not clear but dawn of war it's like get the control points like (laughs) kill kill enemy units and And because it's quite fast paced and you don't have to worry about base management you can spend time on those combat units right and even if you make a mistake and you lose those combat units you can get more of them back in the fray quite quickly yeah there's less to think about right yeah you it's a lot less you're not punished as harshly for small single mistakes so you can get back in the action and keep fighting now obviously the better player would generally win but it just means that you aren't punished for making one mistake and now the whole game's practically over and it's just a a matter of waiting out the clock exactly exactly oh you didn't build that thing to get like the essential upgrades that you need so like that's the end because they're just so much narrower and in the long run, I kind of, I like that a lot about those kinds of strategy games like Dawn of War and, and so on. Um, I think that they they definitely made the genre a lot more approachable than than some of the other games that we've talked about. The last thing I want to say about for Dawn of War is how many expansions they gave the game. Like mm. the game was expanded on so many times, adding more factions and more unit types. And they even added like full on sort of like... Uh, campaign style modes where you like had a base of operations you had to move to different areas that had different like bonuses and stuff like that again it almost felt like a weird rpg game at that point but yeah within an rcs's mechanics it was really good and i i feel that not enough games have since copied its style i feel like you could get more games in different genres not different genres but like different ips that could copy this similar style definitely yeah i think that there's i think you're right i think there's a huge like i feel like like we said like rts in in many ways has become a very broad genre but also there are definitely some parts of the genre having now spoken about all these games that feel very neglected Mm -hmm. nowadays and you know there's a lot of emphasis on either kind of like sort of more simulation level games or well and actually total war is kind of included because i sort of think i feel like total war is like the biggest leftover franchise in rts and yeah, it's, it's very very different strong, to Dawn yeah. of war. but there's a lot of other games that we did mention as well um mm. like for example we didn't really talk about any of the more modern games some of the things like stellaris for example it's mm. one of them uh one of my favorite games that i i've talked about many times on the podcast of uh world in conflict you know yeah it's an rts game it's just a very strange rts game but it is one you know 
Uh, and there's so many other sort of smaller spin-offs as well, like all the expansion packs, like Dawn of War 2, for example, is a really big deal as well. They did lots of really good, great things. StarCraft 2, you know, we didn't talk about that. Um, yep. You know, there's so many great games within the genre, but those four there, we feel define RTS as a whole. Like, they cover a lot of different styles within RTS and sort of what mechanics got made, staples, and what maybe mm. were tried out and didn't work quite well, but were still very interesting, etc. Um, but I'm sure we've probably missed one or two that you've been screaming at your headphones for for the past half an hour, going, yep. how on earth have you not talked about like some, well, this particular genre of games for example populous i know we missed off populous and a lot of people love that i love that yep. game but we didn't feel like it represented rts's as a whole like these ones did but if we're wrong tell us why we're wrong yeah absolutely uh total annihilation as well i reckon that's a that's a that's a big one that, that a lot of people Supreme think commander of. yeah yeah um but yeah definitely let us know uh you can send us an email show at octal.fm or a tweet at octal.fm on twitter or Facebook, facebook.com forward slash OctalFM. Uh, and don't forget, you know, if you're listening to this and you've liked it, then like it, like literally in your app, mm-hmm. um, if there's a button for that. And tell your friends, tell your friends about us, share, right. share the episode. If you've got some friends that like RTS or, you know, you think would be interested in hearing about hearing our hot take on the <laughs> genre, then uh, share it to them. And if you do those things, you'll get some stickers. Yeah, absolutely. Let us know and we'll send you some stickers. Um, cool. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun. Trip down, bit of a trip down gaming history lane. I feel this has been an easy one for us because we're quite well versed in RTS. But when it comes to things like FPS, yeah. how on earth do you choose? Yeah, we're going to we're gonna struggle with some of the <laughs> we're other We're going to get some real uh, hot, hot flack for that one, I feel like. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Uh, and yeah, look forward to that. <laughs> and in the meantime, <laughs> I've been Gelada. And I've been Sefran. And catch us again for another episode of Octal FM very soon. Don't worry, Oxal FM listeners, I'm not allergic and I am fine. I'm not allergic and I'm not dead yet.